Go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and find Philippians chapter 2. That's where we are today. We're in a series of messages that's moving us through the book of Philippians. Today, we're looking at Paul's desire for believers, and that desire is humility. From Philippians chapter 2, here's the key concept today. Jesus shows us humility in action. Philippians chapter 2, while you find that, let me mention, there is no perfect church. There never was. Sometimes people say or think to themselves, if only we were more like the first century church, we would be problem-free. But that is false. In fact, if it weren't for problems in the various churches of the first century, we probably would not have the letters that we do written by the Apostle Paul. For the majority of them are written to address issues that the churches are facing. Philippians is no exception. Even though it's the most positive of all of Paul's letters, it has a wonderful, friendly tone, still there is an occasion that Paul needs to speak to in terms of an issue uh, between two women and their inability to get along. He calls for reconciliation between these sisters in Christ because their rift is affecting the church. Now, we're going to get to that when we come to chapter 4. But here in chapter 2, Paul lays the groundwork for the solution to strife and squabbles in church life, not just the Philippian church, but in every church. As As a matter of fact, what he's going to teach us is the solution for strife and squabbles everywhere. And that solution is humility. How are you doing in your quarantine time? Are you starting to feel that there's a little bit of strife going on, maybe some squabbles inside the home that you're quarantined in? We will learn here that humility is the answer. It always is the answer, and that's what we are called to as we follow the example of Jesus Christ. I read about the football coach Chan Gailey. At one point, he was the head coach of Troy State in Alabama. Uh, at this point, I think he's actually on the staff of the Miami Dolphins. But uh, that year when he was, was overseeing the Troy State football team, uh, they were doing very well. They were in the championship game in their division, and the campus was buzzing with the news about how well the football team was doing. Coach Gailey was the center of all of that. And one day, he was walking out of his office, going to the practice field, and an assistant stopped him. And he said, Coach, you have a phone call. The coach said, take a message. But the, but the assistant said, Coach, it's, it's Sports Illustrated. And the coach paused for a moment, and he started to imagine an article about his team in Sports Illustrated. In fact, he started to imagine his face on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So he quickly went back into his office. He picked up the phone, and the person on the other end of the line said, Is this Chan Gailey? And he said, Yes, it is. And the person said, Would you like to renew your subscription to Sports Illustrated? It turned out to be a a sales call after all. As he told that story, Coach Gailey said this, You are either humble or you will be humbled. We must be the humble ones following the example of Jesus Christ. I hope you found Philippians chapter 2. Follow along with me as I read starting in verse 3. Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. 
your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Pride is a spiritual issue. Pride is a weapon in the hands of Satan. Before we come to faith in Christ, it is our pride that keeps us pushing away the offer of forgiveness. Prior to coming to Christ, we feel that there must be something wrong with these people who need the, the cr a crutch of religion. They can't cope with life. They can't take life on its own terms. They have to resort to prayer and the like. It all looks like weakness and failing to the prideful. And that is why you will never be able to talk someone into the kingdom of God by the power of your argument alone. We can't be slick enough, convincing enough, attractive enough in order to get someone to cross the line of faith. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit using the words of our simple testimony that people will actually have the heart of pride broken through the conviction of sin. That is a supernatural work. But here, you see, Paul is talking to believers, and he's talking to believers about pride calling us to humility, because even though there's been a spiritual breakthrough, we still live in a world that's competitive by nature, and there still is that seed of pride within us. Paul warns us against it, and he shows us what it means to live humbly. He lays down some principles. Principle number one in verse three is it means you're not living in competition with one another. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. It's natural to believe that if we only get ahead of somebody else, if we get ahead of that other guy, we'll be happier. But the Bible shows us that that's wrong. The supernatural truth is that when we work together in love and humility, that's when we're happier. Principle number two is consider others better than yourselves, also in verse 3. That statement in and of itself shows us how radical the Bible is. That statement bothers us. We are naturally uncomfortable with this sentence, consider others better than yourself. We would prefer that he would say something like, now remember, everyone is equal, so be nice. Now remember, don't play favorites, but that's not what he says. He says, consider others as better than yourself. Now note with me, Paul is talking about our mindset the way that we are to think. He's not talking about the actual worth of an individual. But we are to consider others in such a way that it alters our lives. When we consider others better than ourselves, it means that others are worth sacrificing for. Others are worth being interrupted for. Others are worth going out of our way. Consider them better. And we'll have a sense that in this moment, it is more important that I meet the needs of this other person rather than stick to my plan or stick to my desires. Paul knows that this kind of thinking will compel action. It's not really a call to belittle yourself or to think less of yourself, but it is a challenge to think of yourself less, to be less self-absorbed, 
less concerned about our own agendas. And then Paul goes on in verse 4 to say, care for one another. Look to the interests of others. This is the result when you think about others better than yourself. The result when we are truly being humble. We'll try to meet the needs of others and care about the things that they care about. I wonder if, you, if you've ever uh, met someone who seems to be always keeping score. Someone who will do a nice thing for you, but when they do that nice thing, they consider themselves one up on you, and they wait for the return. They expect a payback. They do nice things, in other words, but they do them for their own interests, never the interests solely of the other. Paul is saying, rather... Sure, care about your interests, but also engage in free, open-hearted, pitching in, helping each other, meeting the needs that are around you without considering a payback. That only happens in the life of the humble. Proud people will do nice things, but they will always do them from a position of self-interest and investment. You might ask yourself the question, Well, that sounds like a rough life. Why would I want to live that way? Why would a Christian need to live that way? Paul says it's not so that you will have people around you who owe you a favor. Rather, we must live this way because if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have a heart connection with our Savior, and this is what He did for us. He humbled Himself. Let's read it again, starting in verse 5 this time. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross." Jesus treated us as worthy when we were not worthy. He thought not only of his own comfort and interests, but of our need. And so he came to us humbly. Jesus spoke of this about himself. In Luke chapter 22, he says, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But I am among you as one who serves. See, Jesus is saying, my example, the example of my life, tosses out the usual uh, uh, understanding of what greatness is and what importance is. The world thinks that the important people are the ones who are being served. But in my system, says Jesus, the important people do the serving. And how did he serve? He sacrificed. He gave up his rights. He cared more about our rescue than his personal position. It says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That means something to be held on to. He willingly released that privilege and position and came to meet our need. Verse 7 points out he gave up glory. It was a huge step to come from glory and to become a servant. God the Son come to us 
He gave up much. In fact, he referred to that also in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says this to the Father. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He remembered that glory, but he gave it up for us. Look at verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. In that sentence, some of your translations probably says, he emptied himself. Now, it raises a theological question. What is it that Jesus gave up? What did he empty himself of when he came to earth? He did not give up his godness, his divinity. He was certainly God in the flesh when he came. But he surrendered his position in glory. He surrendered the privilege of the independent use of his godly power here on earth. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see him referring to the fact that he is doing the Father's bidding. He's on a mission from the Father. And also in verse 7, it tells us he became human. He went from being the Lord of all to being a servant. Humility, not only in theory, but in action. And finally, he lived obediently even though he knew that would take him to a cross. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that changed everything. The author, J.B. Phillips, imagines a scene in a conversation between two angels. I'm going to read a little bit of that uh, that, uh, piece to you. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a very young angel being shown around the splendors and the glories of the universe by a senior experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He'd been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, infinite distances in the deathly cold of interstellar space. And to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. The senior angel pointed to a small, rather insignificant sphere, turning slowly on its axis. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel. That's the special one. What's special about that? That, the angel replied, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You don't mean visited by, indeed I do, that ball, which I have no doubt looks to you like a small and insignificant thing, has been visited by the Prince of Glory. You mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? I do, and I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures. For strange as it may seem to us, He loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like Him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. The prince has returned to his home of light, but watch the earth now. And in many parts of the globe there was a glow over over many areas, and it was spreading. You see what's happening, asked the senior angel. The bright glow is the company of loyal men and women he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow, and now lights begin to shine all over the earth. 
Now, Phillips adds these words at the end of his story. He says, is this imaginary? Is this fanciful? Maybe, but a good deal truer than some of our current thinking. For in the eyes of the eternal, this little planet is of the highest importance simply because it is the visited planet. We may not realize it all, but we are right in the middle of a vast drama, he says, a tremendous battle between light and darkness. We're part of the vast exper experiment, the age-long battle, the and the stage and the testing ground is this planet that we call Earth, visited by God. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Suppose you had a fish tank, and you saw in your fish tank that your fish were biting and killing one another and fighting, and you understood that the only way to get them to stop this fishy life of sin was to become a fish yourself, enter the fish tank, and, and in that process you knew that you would be killed, you would lose your life. Would you go to rescue the fish? Let me ask further. Suppose you knew that if you did go, after you died, you'd be snatched back out of that fish tank and resurrected. But this would mean you would spend the rest of your existence as a resurrected fish. Would you go? In other words, not only would you suffer in the tank, but you would never be able to be the exact you you were in the beginning of the story. That is Jesus. Please understand, God the Son was never the same after His mission of rescue for us. Yes, He lives in glory. We'll see that in a moment. But He now exists in a resurrected body, like the resurrected body that we will have one day. He did not go back to that pre-incarnate spiritual state. He gave much up for you and for me. But exaltation and glory is coming. Paul writes about that starting in verse 9. Read with me. He says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father exaltation came. You see, the life of Jesus shows us a pattern, a model, and that is, ultimately, the way up is down first. The way up is down, and there is final honor and glory, but it is not claimed. It is given by God the Father. God the Father exalted Him, and all creation sees Jesus as Lord. Ultimately, Humility leads to exaltation. His example is to be our pattern. Go back to verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Others first. So what does that mean? Well, how do we apply this? Ask yourself these questions. Is there an apology that needs to be offered? Is there a harsh word that needs to be taken back and repented of? Is there a bitter spirit that needs to be broken? Is there a promise that needs to be fulfilled or a commitment that needs to be completed? Is there 
selfishness that needs to be overcome or an angry, graspy spirit that needs to be calmed. See, we need to live humbly before God and before one another. The same pattern is ours. The way up begins down. We cannot hold on to our pride and think we are going to be with Him in glory. And glory it is. It is the Father's intention that the Son be glorified. And Paul, as he describes that glory, knowing that he is a man of Scriptures, he knows the the, the Hebrew Scriptures, he actually pulls his language from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 45 says this, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear or confess. They will say of me, in the Lord alone, there are righteousness and strength. Paul takes the imagery of those words and applies it to Jesus Christ in this passage, right here. And he says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every rational being will declare it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every believer will proclaim it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every angel will shout it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every atheist will know it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every demon will admit it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Satan himself will bow to it. Christ's humility was followed by his exaltation, and that's what endures, and he will be proclaimed as the Lord of all forever, on the earth, under the earth, and above the earth. But wait, is He your Lord? Have you come to that place when you have received the forgiveness for your sin that He offers to begin this relationship with Him and make Him the Lord of your life? It may be that even as you're watching this uh, streaming service, you realize you really don't have a relationship with Him. It may be that for a long time God has seemed distant from you and far away, but that's not true. The Bible teaches that God sees you, God knows you, He loves you, and He wants to be a part of your life. It is the sin in our lives that separates us from Him. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short, short of the glory of God. That is everyone. That's all of us. That's where we all start. And sin deserves punishment. But the message of this mission that we're talking about today is that Jesus took the punishment on Himself. And He offers the forgiveness that He earned for you on the cross to you today. And when you accept that gift, Jesus Christ becomes your Lord. And then you are part of what God is doing in the world right now. And you have the promise of life with Him in that glory, that life to come, exalted with Him. And all of this comes to you as you turn to Him in faith and trust Him as your Savior. Now, for some of you, maybe you've never done that, but there is a thought deep within you right now that says, That's just what you need to do. You see, you do that by turning in faith and you express that faith in a prayer, a prayer of repentance and saying yes to Jesus. And if you want to do that and you know you need to, I'm going to help you do that right now. In fact, I'm going to ask that everybody who's watching this this broadcast, just take a moment, bow your heads in an attitude of prayer, and let's pray together. 
But if you're today saying, I want Jesus Christ as my Lord, I'm going to enable you to pray that prayer of surrender simply by suggesting some words that you can pray silently where you sit, God will hear, and they go like this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to start again with you in my life. I know you call that being born again. I want that because I believe you died on the cross and took my punishment. I believe you rose from the dead and today you're able to save me and to forgive me. Lord Jesus, be my Lord today. Help me to live for you and to be a part of your family. I pray it in your name. And Lord, as I continue in prayer, I don't know how many people prayed that prayer. I don't know the spiritual state of those who are watching this, but I know that one day we will all recognize you as Lord of all. No matter where we are, if we have rejected in this life or if we have come to you, there will come a time when the truth is obvious. So I pray that you're making that truth obvious to us right now so that we can live for you in this life and be with you in the next. I pray your blessing on all those who have been with us in this service, and I pray that you would encourage them, help them, bless them, give them hope, give them protection, and enable us all to know that you are working even in this situation that we're going through right now. We love you, Lord, and we want to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that salvation prayer with me a moment ago, I would love to send you this booklet entitled, Now What? Living Out Your Christian Faith. It's a very practical guide for the first few steps of walking with Jesus. But in order for me to send you that, I need to know where to send it. So we're, we're going to accomplish that via text, okay? So if you want me to send you this book and you prayed that prayer, text the word FAITH to 209-257-8768. That's the word FAITH to 209-257-8768. We'll respond to you with a form that you uh, fill out your contact information, and once we get that, I'll be able to send you this booklet. And I'd love to be able to do that. Well, Dana's here to lead us in a closing song, so let's worship in song together. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Everywhere from east to west, praise the name of the Lord, for the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. We want to praise the name of God today as we close out the service. Um, like we said earlier, I hope that the presence of God is dwelling in your home, that you feel his presence in your mind, in your hearts. Um, he inhabits our praises, and so we're gonna continue our praises so that through this week, we feel the presence of God inhabiting our homes, inhabiting our minds, our words, and our thoughts um, as, we, as we spend this time with families and friends and, and continue figuring it all out. So. I sing praises to your name, praises to your name, the name that's so much. 
lifted up, be lifted higher. I sing praises to benediction this morning, I'd like you just to share with me this prayer of rest and renewal.
Thank you for joining us this morning in this service of worship. God bless you, and we'll see you again next Sunday. Praises to your name. The name